Well, it's one of the most profound questions ever asked. It was a question asked uh, at the, at the uh, conclusion of Jesus' trials before his crucifixion. If you remember the story in John 18, Jesus has been through a series of trials over the course of an entire evening before the Jewish Sanhedrin, before Herod, and uh, he's been brought to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. And in his final inquiry with Pontius Pilate, Jesus uh, made an incredible statement to Pilate, and Pilate asked this profound question. In John 18, starting in verse 33, we read this. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? As I mentioned, probably one of the most profound questions ever asked. It's a question that's resonated with men and women down through the ages. And it's a question that demands further inquiry. Opening the door to reflections like, is there even such a thing as truth? Where do we find it? Who determines it? How do we weigh the claims of those who come professing to speak it? Maybe you've pondered such questions yourselves. In our own day and age, Pilate's question seems to have taken on a new sense of urgency as we find ourselves in a society where truth is often relativized, weaponized, politicized, and delegitimized. We see this in our schools where ideological indoctrination often masquerades as education. We see it in our media regularly blurring the line between news and propaganda. We see it in the realm of science with the call to trust the experts as they routinely squash dissenting views. We see it in our politicians who are often exposed to acting in self-interest instead of the people's interests. And all of these realities have resulted in a culture where truth is increasingly questioned and trust is in short supply. Our nation today reminds me of Israel in the days of the prophet Jeremiah, where we read in Jeremiah 9.5, everyone deceives his neighbor. And no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity. And friends, in a culture where truth is obfuscated, trust is lost, relationships are broken, confusion reigns, and hope runs dry. It's as the Lord spoke through the prophet Hosea, in Hosea chapter 4, hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love. 
and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. This sure sounds like our culture today, doesn't it, friends? And in times like these, there's only one hope for a people so ravaged by sin, and especially the plague of deceit. That hope is to turn to God in repentance and to embrace the one who came to bear witness to the truth. As Jesus said to Pilate in John 18, 37, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Yes, friends, the reality is our God is a God of truth. He revealed that to us 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ, and he's made it known to us throughout history as recorded in his word, the Bible. Now, one of the places where we see this reality that, that God is a God of truth is in the Ten Commandments that we've been studying together this summer. And specifically, we find this reality in the ninth commandment, which we're going to be looking at today. We're in Exodus chapter 20. The ninth commandment is found in verse 16. And the ninth commandment says this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In other words, you shall not lie about your neighbor. This is an important command for us. It might be next to the first commandment, honor God above all else, right? It might be the most significant of the commandments for us to consider for our own day and age. The call to be people of honesty, of truth, of integrity, not bearing false witness, not telling lies. And remember, we're looking at these 10 great freedoms these moral laws of God that when followed in fidelity produce great freedom and great blessing in a culture. But as we've seen over the course of the summer, when a culture strays from God's truth, when a culture becomes a culture of deception, a culture of deceit, a culture where the truth is regularly questioned, hope quickly runs dry. And so it's important for us, again, to consider today not only our vertical obligations to our Creator God in the first tablet of the law, but our horizontal obligations to our neighbor found in the second tablet of the law. And again, friends, these two things go on hand in hand because if we are not honoring God and putting Him first, we cannot faithfully love our neighbors. And so again, we talk about the significance of this in our culture today and a culture that has turned its back on God and no longer seeks to honor God as a people. We should not be surprised when we see deception amongst our neighbors running amok. These things are significant. And so today, as we look to this ninth commandment, we need to ask the Lord to not only impresses upon our hearts, but that he might do a revival in our land, turning our nation's hearts back to him so that we as a people might honor him in fidelity 
and thereby, in honoring him, begin to truly love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, the immediate application of this ninth commandment was intended for a legal context. When God says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor, the the initial application here was in the context of of a court of law. Now, remember, in the ancient world, in the ancient world, legal protections were basically none, all right? In the ancient world, when God gave the Israelites this command, the, 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 the rule in the ancient world wasn't innocent until proven guilty. The rule in the ancient world was guilty until proven innocent. And in the ancient world, kings and emperors held the fate of your life in their hands based upon their decrees, and their decrees could be changed on any arbitrary basis that they pleased. And so when God came along through the people of Israel and conveyed his moral law, moral laws like the ninth commandment, you should not bear false witness against your neighbor, what we need to recognize, friends, is this Mosaic law changed everything in terms of the legal precedents for humanity that then carried on throughout history. In fact, it was the Mosaic law that became the very foundation for the Western legal system that we have appreciated and have been blessed by uh, here in our nation for over 200 years. It was the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments given by God that helped shape the freedoms and protections that we so appreciate. In fact, if you go to the Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C., on the eastern pediment of the Supreme Court building, you will see these words, justice, the guardian of liberty. And above those words, you will see some of the great lawgivers throughout history. And at the very center of that carving, you will see a picture of Moses with the Ten Commandments. And Moses and the Ten Commandments were placed there at the pinnacle of the Supreme Court building very specifically because it was the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law that became the basis for our Western jurisprudence or legal theory. All of the the freedoms, all of the blessings that we enjoy as a people ultimately stem from the law given by God in the Old Testament. When we go to a court case, for example, and the judge swears us in, whether you're serving as a juror or maybe you're a defendant in a trial, and you are sworn in, and they, are, they ask you, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you, God. So help me, God. Right? We say, so help me, God, because we are implicitly recognizing that truth and justice and liberty come from our creator. It is our creator who gives us these things. We aren't bestowed these things by the government. These are inherent rights given to us by God. And so we swear to uphold the truth by the God who has given it to us. And again, friends, you have to ask the question, in a culture that is increasingly turning its back on the creator who gave us these truths, why then would we not be surprised when justice seems to be called into question so frequently and truth seems to become so blurred throughout our culture? These things only matter and only have any authority 
when they are upheld in the light of the creator God who has given these things to us. Justice in a society begins with fear of the Lord, a proper fear of the Lord. And when that is lost, all of our commandments to loving our neighbor, to speaking truth to our neighbor are also lost. This is why I've been greatly concerned in recent years. For example, in 2019, when the Democrats took control of the House, one of the first things they did was remove the words, so help me God, from the swearing-in ceremonies of all testimonies before the subcommittees in the House of Congress. We've seen in recent years government officials, for example, this past year, a government official in Arizona openly declares her hatred for God chose to be sworn in, not on the Bible, but on a Dr. Seuss book. A U.S. congressman from California in 2019 was sworn in, again, because he is an atheist, was sworn in, not using the Bible, but was sworn in using a Superman comic book. Now, you have to ask yourself some questions here, friends. If you do not believe that there is a creator who speaks truth and holds us accountable to the truth, how can we trust that these officials themselves are going to rightly govern by the truth? You see, friends, it all begins with your vision of who is God, who is sovereign, who is in control, and who are we ultimately accountable to. This is the entire basis for our Western legal system and the liberties that we enjoy. And when these things begin to erode, society begins to crumble. God is concerned for justice and for truth to prevail. Justice, for truth and justice to prevail, we need to look to God and honor him first and foremost. God says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. But this ninth commandment has even broader application beyond the courtroom because, as we all know, there are many ways in which we can bear false witness. Isn't that right, friends? In fact, I have to admit, this, this message has probably been the hardest for me to prepare out of this whole series because the more I studied this message, the more I recognized just how far short I regularly fall in this area of my life. And God is still doing a work here in, in helping me to be a man of truth and integrity. But when we look at the ways in which we can bear false witness against our neighbor, we discover that they are many. There are many ways that we can bear false witness. For example, the great British statement Winston Churchill once accused a political opponent of, I quote, perpetrating a terminological inexactitude, <laughs> unquote. What does that mean? That's just a fancy way of saying this guy was a liar. And there are many ways we can be guilty of lying according to God's word. God's word highlights a number of ways that lying is a violation of God's will. For example, we see in scripture perjury is one of the ways that we can tell a lie. Bearing false witness, bearing false testimony against our neighbors. Zechariah 8, 16 through 17. God says, these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. 
Again, friends, this is the basis for our Western legal system, this idea that we believe there's a God who holds us accountable for speaking truth about our neighbors. And so God says we should not commit perjury. The Bible also condemns slander as a form of lying or bearing false witness. Leviticus 19.16, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. God declares that slander is literally a shot against the very life of your neighbor. Remember, we're talking about fellow men and women created in the image of God, imago Dei, the image bearers of God. And so when we speak slanderously, abusively against our neighbor, or when we write libel, which is slander in written form, okay, God says this is against his moral will for us as his creation. And again, you start thinking about the many times in our own lives where we are prone to speak slanderously against another person. God says he's opposed to these acts. Another way that we can tell lies according to the scripture, spreading gossip or rumor. I'm sure none of you are ever guilty of this one. <laughs> Exodus 23, you shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. Just this past week, I found myself engaged in a conversation. A friend of mine, we were talking about a mutual friend, and the conversation went from speaking about concern about that friend to kind of drifting into the realm of unknowns. And right in that moment, God convicted my spirit, said, hey, we can't go there. And so I said, hey, you know what? Those are things that we don't know. Let's pray for our friend and trust that God is working in their life. And again, we need to guard our hearts, friends, against gossip, against rumor. These are things that God says are against his will for our lives. How about flattery? Did you know flattery is a form of lying, bearing false witness? What is flattery? Psalm 12. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips. And a double heart they speak. What is flattery? Flattery is when we speak well of someone in order to get something from them, to gain a benefit from them. This is a form of bearing false witness against our neighbor. I don't really think your hair looks pretty this morning. I just want you to like me, right? Right? We bear false witness through flattery by saying things to people that we don't really mean in order to get something from them. How about this? False teaching. This past spring, we looked in our series in the book of Jude about the false teachers that creep into the church. God says false teaching is a way that we can break the ninth commandment by bearing false testimony. 1 Timothy 4, the apostle Paul says, now the spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. You look at many of the false religions in our world today, many of the false cults in our world today that were started by false teachers who were demonically inspired, who conveyed and promoted lies for the purpose of leading people astray. 
This is nothing new. This has been going on for 2,000 years in the history of the church. This is why we study books like the book of Jude, so that we can have discernment to recognize truth from error. But again, false teaching is one of the ways that people break the ninth commandment. How about casual lies? Proverbs 26, 18, and 19. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, oh, I was only joking. Have you ever been guilty of that, friends? That's one of the ways that we can do significant hurt to our friends, to our family, to our loved ones. We deceive them. We tell lies, and then we just casually write it off. Oh, I was just fooling around. Didn't mean anything by it. Well, that's easy for you to say, but it wounded me. It hurt me. We need to guard against casual lies. Another way that we can bear false testimony or bear false witness is through misrepresentation, twisting the truth, distorting the words of another person. We see this in the trials of Jesus in Matthew 26, where the Jews brought false witnesses against Jesus, bearing false testimony against Jesus, even quoting Jesus' own words, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Did Jesus say something like that? Yes, he did. But did they take those words out of context to twist them for their own purposes to accuse Jesus? Jesus as a criminal, yeah, absolutely that's what they did. And so we too need to be careful about misrepresentation. Another way that we can be guilty of lying, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Saying one thing, but living a completely different way with our lifestyle. Jesus condemned the Pharisees in his day and age of this. Lying by the very lives. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Friends, when we show up at church on Sunday morning and sing praise to the Lord and act like good, perfect Christians, and then the other six days of the week go out in the world and look no different from our worldly neighbors, that's living a life of hypocrisy. That's breaking the ninth commandment by your lifestyle. That's bearing false witness, claiming you are one thing when by your life you're living very differently. And then, of course, we can also be guilty of lying to God. We have the famous story in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira who claimed to have sold a property and brought all the proceeds to the Lord to give to the church. But in reality, they had held some back for themselves. Now, again, God never told them to sell their property, and God never told them to give all the proceeds to him. But they themselves made that claim to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And in that, they were lying to God. And we can lie to God in many ways. We can lie to God through improper worship. We can lie to God through our testimony. Again, the testimony of our lives. We can lie to God in our heart's intentions. There's many ways that we can be guilty of dishonoring God and lying to him. But again, these are all biblical examples of the ways that we can be guilty of breaking the ninth commandment. Perjury, slander, spreading gossip, flattery, false teaching, casualized, misrepresentation, hypocrisy, lying to God. And so again, when you look through scripture, what you discover is lying is a serious issue. And God condemns it in all its forms. Why? Because he is a God of truth. 
We read in passages like Deuteronomy 32, 3 through 4, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness, that word in the Hebrew can be translated truth, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Friends, this is who our God is. And this is what he expects of his creation. And so, as we've seen with all these other commands throughout our series this summer, we need to recognize God's will for us in the ninth commandment. And there's a negative side to that will, and there's a positive side to that will. The negative side to God's will for us in the ninth commandment says, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. But the positive side of that command says, be a person who speaks the truth, a person of integrity. This is God's intention for us in the ninth commandment. Now, God God desires that we experience freedom from deceit. He wants us to be a people who, who speak truth, who live with integrity. But to do this, we need to recognize three lessons that flow out of this ninth commandment. Three lessons in recognition of our God who is a God of truth. Lesson number one. As a God of truth, we need to recognize he is a God who hates lies. Now, that word hate is a strong word. And we don't often like to use that word because it just creates a visceral reaction in us. But God says he hates lies. In fact, we read passages like Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, where God tells us there are six things he hates, seven that are an abomination to him. He says, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. Friends, God so hates lies that when he gives us his list of seven specific things that he hates, two of them have to do with bearing false witness, telling lies. God goes on in Proverbs 12, 22, and he says this, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Friends, the first and foremost thing that we need to recognize this morning when it comes to the ninth commandment is that our God hates lies. Why? Because he is a holy, righteous God. Let me share with you five reasons why our God hates lies this morning. Number one, it's because they're an affront to his holiness. God is perfect. He is morally pure. He has no sin in him whatsoever, and he cannot tolerate sin in his presence. 1 John 1, 5 tells us, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And so when we tell lies, friends, we are making a direct assault on the holiness of our creator, God. God hates lies. God hates lies, number two, because they're the language of our spiritual adversary, Satan. 
When we lie, we are speaking the native tongue of the destroyer. The one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says in John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Friends, do you want to be on the side of God or the side of Satan? Satan is the father of lies. Satan lies as his native tongue. When we lie, we are not only insulting the holiness of God, we are aligning ourselves with the enemy of God, Satan. God hates lies, number three, because they're the fruit of a rebellious heart. When we lie, we are betraying the reality that our heart is not submitted to God. He is not sitting on the throne of our lives, the throne of our heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. Why do we tell lies? We tell lies because our hearts are not submitted to Jesus. We tell lies because we dethrone him from his rightful place of authority over our lives and we put ourselves on the throne of our hearts and in our pride... We want to guard ourselves as, as little gods, and so we'll do anything we can to guard, our, guard ourselves and our so-called godhood, even if it means bearing false witness and telling lies to protect ourselves on the throne of our hearts. God hates lies, number four, because they ruin our relationships with others. How many of you have had your lives significantly impacted by the lies others have told about you or lies that you have told about others. I would venture to guess we could all share stories today about the ways that lies have neg negatively impacted our relationships. Proverbs 16, 28, a dishonest man spreads strife and a whisper separates close friends. Proverbs 25, 18, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. In other words, telling lies is as significant as bearing a dangerous weapon that can kill. God hates lies, number five, because they wreck our witness. Very interesting, at the end of the book of Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy who was leading the church in Ephesus in Paul's absence Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that you, if I delay, may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of what? The truth. The church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. And if that is our claim, friends, if that is what God has called us, and if we promote ourselves as the pillar and buttress of truth and then we go outside these walls throughout the rest of the week and we're known not as people of truth but a people who spread falsehood who lie who gossip who slander we are eroding the pillar that we are supposed to be upholding the truth of god in this world there is nothing more damaging to the testimony of the gospel than when God's people fail 
to live consistently in light of who we are, people of the truth. And so for all these reasons, God's hate, God hates lies. But the third thing we need to recognize is not only does he hate lies, because of his hatred for lies, he's also a God who will judge liars. Are you a liar here this morning? Do you struggle in this area? Habitual lies, habitual deception, regularly falling into slander or gossip or libel, bearing false witness in all of its forms. Friends, if you're a person who struggles with these areas, you need to recognize what God's word says to us this morning about his judgment against those who tell lies. Passages like Proverbs one, or Psalm 101.7, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Lord, help us. On the day of judgment, on the day of judgment, the Apostle John in Revelation says, he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. He also said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Doesn't that sound incredible? And it will be incredible. But not for everybody. Because there's going to be another group of people, the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Oh, friends, lying. Lying is serious business. God goes on in Revelation 22. He says, behold, I'm coming soon. I'm bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Friends, God is a God who judges liars. And if you meet your maker in a state of habitual falsehood, bearing false witness, lying, slandering, if that's what characterizes your life and witness to this world, God says he's bringing judgment upon you. And that's the bad news this morning. But the good news this morning is that God, our God of truth, is also a God who turns liars into testifiers. We read promises like Romans 6.23, where the Apostle Paul tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? How does Jesus do this for us? Well, we read, for example, in 1 Peter 2, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, friends, Jesus is the only one who ever lived who never told a lie. 
Jesus is the only one who, who lived without committing any deceit. And because of that, Jesus then, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. Friends, Jesus died for liars. Jesus died for those who habitually commit deception and deceit. Jesus offers you a free gift of grace and new life in him where he will take your sins and he will nail those sins, all of those lies to the cross. But you have to receive that gift in faith. You have to trust in Jesus. And when we put our hope in what Jesus has done for us, we can know promises like Ezekiel 36 where, where God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Friends, you can never overcome a lifestyle of lying on your own. You're going to continue on as a liar your entire life. And you will die and you will face the judgment of God apart from Jesus and his amazing grace and the new spirit that God puts in your heart when you put your trust in him. And God will come and he'll do a new work in your heart and he'll transform your life and he'll give you a new spirit that allows you to walk as a person of truth, a person of integrity. And then we can know, as the Apostle Paul calls us to in Ephesians 4.25, we can be people who have put away falsehood, and each one of us speaking truth to our neighbors because we are members of one another. Friends, just imagine a society where people spoke truth to their neighbors. How different our world might be. It begins when we put our hope and trust in Jesus. It begins when the Holy Spirit begins to do that work of transformation in our lives, empowering us to walk in the truth and live in light of the truth and speak the truth and love to our neighbors. Jesus is our only hope. So let's keep our eyes on him and ask him to empower us to be people of the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. It's a convicting word. It's a word that I think touches each of us here this morning. And as we look at the, the reality of just how seriously you take lies and deceptions, we recognize just how far, far short we fall of your righteous, holy standards. And so Jesus, once again today, we come to you humbly asking for your forgiveness. We thank you for your amazing grace given to us in Jesus through his death on the cross, which took upon himself all of our sins, including our lies, including our deceit, so that we might be washed and cleansed and forgiven, so that we might receive your Holy Spirit that allows us to walk in newness of life, in obedience to your will for our lives. Holy Spirit, help us, empower us, Convict us, continue to turn our hearts in repentance to you and, and then help us to walk in fidelity to you. Help us to live consistently as that pillar and buttress of truth in our world so that the world might look at us as followers of Jesus and see people who are different, who live in light of truth, who live in light of integrity, who, who speak and act consistently with what they claim to believe. 
And God, through our witness, may we turn others to you in repentance as well, looking to you as their hope for amazing grace. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, for all you've done for us. We once again commit our lives to you here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Friends, if you would, please stand for our benediction this morning. Let me say, if any of you would like prayer today, our, some of our elders and Stephen ministers will be down here at the front of the platform, and we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you need to pray a prayer of confession and repentance this morning for, for the deception in your own heart. God can transform your life too, friends. We can pray with you this morning if you'd like that. But I want to leave you with these words from 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you and have a great week. Hey friends, thanks for joining us online today. If you have further questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to give financially to the ministries of Lakes Free Church, I encourage you to visit our website, lakesfree.org. There you'll also find information regarding our upcoming events. You can access all of our past sermon series, along with a host of other valuable resources. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our Sunday services or other events. We'd love to meet you.